Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lin, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the future of primary care. And today's episode is brought to you by HitMic. Check out healthitmarketingconference.com for details on HitMic's next healthcare marketing conference. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 16 years of Health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. So, Colin... What's your relationship with your primary care vendor? Do you you have a primary care doctor? (laughs) I am one of the rare ones in Canada. Yes, (laughs) I have a primary care doctor and have had the same one for the last 25 years. So So does your your primary care doctor knows your name is what you're saying? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Although I probably haven't seen them in a while. So, you know, it's fine. I'm probably due to make an appointment, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a rarity. Uh, well, um, that's fascinating. You know of them, but you haven't used them. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, 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 I think that's part of the conversation today. Uh, you know, in my case, I think I've said this before on other episodes, but I consider my orthopedic surgeon friend uh, my primary care doctor because that's what I usually I'm breaking something or hurting something and, and they need to help me with it. So, uh, you know, that's the closest I have. I, I mean, I, I filled out a form recently. I think it was some healthcare. I, I think it was my ER visit, my, my urgent care visit. And um, they said, primary care doctor. I'm like, I don't even have a name to give you. Like, I don't <laughs> have nothing. <laughs> like, so, yeah. Anyway, it's good that we get our bias out there up front. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, it is a, a really interesting time. And I say interesting with air quotes here for <laughs> primary care because they are under tremendous pressure from a number of factors. But, but you know, f- for you, John, when you look at it, has there been a more tumultuous time for primary care? I, I don't think so. And what's interesting is there's like this confluence of things that are happening. One is doctors don't want to go into primary care. Because it doesn't pay as much. Like, yeah, okay, the ortho is going to make half a million. You're going to make 200000 which most of us are like, well, 200000 sounds pretty good. Well, yeah, but if you could go into ortho and make 500000 like, why would you choose primary care? And the answer is because some people care, right? They don't want right. to just do bones. They don't, they like the variety, et cetera, right? So there are some reasons primary care is attractive to some people, but and, and those are round numbers, of course, but, uh, you know, it, that is a huge challenge that we see in, in uh, medical schools is that many people aren't going into primary care uh, because it just doesn't pay as much as some of the other specialties. And, and in some ways, it's even harder. There's more risks. There's more <laughs> challenges associated with it. And then you layer on, which I think is what you were referring to when you said tumultuous, all the different companies attacking primary care as an opportunity to grow their business, whether it's retail healthcare, rolling out primary care, or whether that's virtual care, where the primary care doctor might be a telehealth 
uh, professional that you go and see and you just go to telehealth as your primary care or whether that's uh, you know the v- venture capital private equity investing buying into primary care and kind of turning it into a machine which we know every doctor loves being part of a machine <laughs> and having to hit numbers and goals rather than care for the patients the best way they know how possible uh, you know and then throw in the most recent announcement of Amazon acquiring One Medical which acquired Iora Health before that right for three billion dollars i'm sure every primary care person loves that you know amazon just threw three billion dollars at primary care so it's crazy to think about how much is changing well yeah and then you add on top of that the staffing challenges that primary care docs have right like um, not only frontline people but also the nurses that they have to employ uh, hear, i heard of cases where you know their biller someone's biller got poached right to go to a bigger yeah. organization right these are all uh, challenges for primary care docs who already uh, weren't sort of top of the list for some of these professionals to go and join right so the the whole res- rate resignation and the difficulty of hiring talent is definitely another challenge for for primary care and and i think also to, to your point john there are now some viable alternatives to primary care right like you you could you know just use urgent care i mean it's not advisable but you, that could be the best option for some people. A lot of people do that, right? I mean, that's kind of what I've done, right? If I needed something, I'll just go to urgent care. Like, yeah. Then there's also some new technologies that allow you to do things that maybe before you had to go to the doc to do, right? Like, you know, you can monitor your own heart rate. You can monitor your, 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 yourself with, with various tools and, 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 uh, and devices and things. I'm not saying it's a complete replacement, but I think people can get by enough that maybe they don't need to go see their primary care doc as frequently. And let's be honest, there's another big thing too, is just the access is really hard for patients, right? Like, so even though if I wanted to see a primary care doc, I can't find one. Right? So, uh, you know, cause that would, they, they, maybe they've been scooped up by the hospital and now they're being referred by, you know, their pa- you know, patients are being referred via the hospital network and I don't have, a, I don't have access to my primary care doc as much as I used to. And anyway, it's definitely uh, a, really interesting time for them in terms of, you know, all the different challenges that they're facing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, we haven't even mentioned things like direct primary care or concierge medicine, which is chopping off some of the best primary care patients that they could see, right? And so, you know, you kind of have a bit of a haves and haves nots in in that case where it's like, oh, the direct primary care doctor loves doing it because they can slow down and they can see you at the pace that they think is more is effective for you because that's their goal as a direct primary care doctor. Um, You know, and then, you know, at the bottom end, we also have QHCs uh, doing amazing work for you know uh, you know in a health equity perspective you know they mm-hmm. they see some of the most vulnerable patients and but that that comes with its own challenges and and own you know issues with how can they even get there can they afford the medication do they have what they need at home you know uh, you know so I think those are other interesting challenges and pressures that are happening in primary care. I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I think one of the things I learned about DPC and direct primary care at you know the recent hint, con- hint summit that I went to, I was just shocked at how happy these physicians were, right? That had made- You haven't seen work. happy physicians for a while. <laughs> I haven't. To be honest, I haven't, right? Like, you know, a lot of times they're not complaining all the time, but, but definitely there's a lot of pressure on them in other venues. Sure. This was one of the few ones where like they were legitimately happy and and- really finding joy in what they were doing precisely because 
they were able to slow down. Now, ironically, they were earning less. Right? All of them were saying they earn less as a DPC doc than they were as a fee-for-service or as part of a larger health system. But they were okay with that because they were more fulfilled. They didn't have to do documentation at night, right? Mm-hmm. To fulfill some weird, you know, quality metric somewhere, right? Yeah, um, and and <laughs> they were some of the, for some of them, it was an interesting uh, entree into entrepreneurship. You know, they were okay. opening up, you know, a gym next to their, uh, you know, practice, mm-hmm. or they were going to open up a nutrition consultancy. And so it kind of were getting they were getting their business juices flowing through it. And so it's, it's ironic because you're right, DPC is a challenge, but it's also a savior for some of these docs who might have otherwise left practice altogether. Yeah. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but they did a study of the most satisfied workers and it was actually zookeepers. And you're like, well, why is it? It's because they get paid so much. You're like, no, they get paid less than most people. It's like, oh, they must uh, work, you know, really great hours. No, they work more hours than the rest of us. And so they they dove in and said, well, why are they so happy? And it was because they had a sense of purpose, right? And they they thought that they were achieving the goals that they wanted. And so it sounds like that's what's happened with direct primary care, right? They have a sense of purpose. They they feel that they're making an impact on the lives of those patients in a way that uh, what isn't happening in a lot of areas of healthcare. So that, that's really interesting. When I look at the biggest challenges though, I, you know, I actually had a discussion today around primary care and, you know, and we know that primary care can lower healthcare costs. We've, we've seen that proven in a lot of different studies. Uh, the challenge I have with it is, and I asked the question, does primary care need a rebrand? <laughs> like, because when I think of primary care, I think of, oh, I've got a cold, I've got a rash, I've got an itch, I've got a I've got some chief complaint, right, that I need them to address. And so I go into them for the chief complaint. Like, I seriously don't believe that if I go to my doctor, they're going to keep me healthier or that, you know, they're going to treat my wellness. Like, I, 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 you know, that's not the brand of primary care anymore. The brand of primary care is, oh, I've got a problem. You can fix it. And so I, you know, that was the question I had. Like, I'm not going to go to my primary care doctor to say, hey, I want to stay healthy. And can they rebrand primary care to that and become that? Or does it need to be some outside entity? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting you say that, John. It, I totally agree with you, by the way, that we need to change the, the concept of primary care away from you have something's wrong, that's who you go to, um, to, hey, like, you know, I want to maintain or get better at what I'm doing. Let's go see the doctor to make sure I'm doing it in a well-advised way, in an evidence-based way, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there, I mean, I don't want to draw the, too much of a comparison here, but you know, you, you look at sort of what companies were doing when the weight loss world, right? And how you have a weight loss coach, right? Or you look yeah. at what's happening in the personal fitness area, and you have a personal personal trainer, right? And and motivator to get you out to the gym, and you know, does primary care need to morph more into that, right? We have a health coach, right? And, and they they just happen to have an MD <laughs> right after their name, because right? <laughs> uh, I I think there would be more people who would go, oh, like I can, I can go ask my doc about, you know, should I eat A or B more often, right? Is this good for me? You know, do I believe this new fad diet? And, you know, maybe I should check this out with my primary care doctor. Like that would be ultimately a lot better. And I think a lot more fulfilling for the docs as well, right? They're not dealing with problem after problem in their exam room. Um, but you're right. We're not, we're not anywhere close to that today. 
Yeah, I mean, just to throw another uh, comment in there, I was talking with Sarah Ald. She's the founder of Upper Health, which is a wellness company, right? <laughs> that, and she said, she tweeted out today that uh, the Upper Health competition is not other wellness tech companies or other marketplaces or, or, you know, I'll throw in primary care there. She said it's lazy people who don't care of themselves at all, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's our own right. laziness Apathy. is yeah. how she described it. Our unwillingness to to care enough about it, right? And, and she describes that, hey, the goal with Upper Health is, is making this exceptional health mindless, right? Which I think is a beautiful concept. But, you know, if I'm a primary care doctor, am I trained to do that at all? <laughs> no. So I, I feel like that almost has to come from outside of, of the current system for me to believe that that's actually what's going to happen. Because if I, I just don't believe that the current system is going to do that, and it's hard for me to imagine him, you know, changing to that. Now, what does that mean for primary care doctors? Does that mean I'm going to see them even less? You know, like, and and here's the other part of the that's a challenge for the brand of primary care is in many cases they were just seen as the approval to go see a specialist because right. of the way insurance companies work. So you're going to either chief you do my chief complaint or you're going to refer me to a specialist. That's not a good business to be in, right? <laughs> like. No, it I isn't. Mean, yeah. but, but to me, that's the biggest challenge, actually. For me, the biggest challenge facing primary care is actually the reimbursement. It, it's clear they are not making as much, yet they're dealing dealing with more variety, uh, and, and yet they can have such a big impact as well. So I think the reimbursement and what they're making is not commensurate with the value they're bringing. Right, so there's a disjunct there, and and there's no easy fix here. I mean, it's not simply just throw some more money at primary care, but you know, putting the incentives in the right place. Right, maybe value-based care is the way to go for this. But but until we get there, I think we're continuing to see the bleed of primary care physicians, and then also just people not entering this field in the first place. Well, and you see investments happening like Farzad Mostashari and his company Alidade, right? Or Alidad, I don't know how they pronounce it. <laughs> I think it's Alidade. Uh, but you know, they you know, that's his premise is primary care is the key to value-based care and doing it effectively lowers costs. And you know, I, I think I've shared I, I I sometimes wonder is he just moving around uh, you know chairs on the Titanic and it's just a numbers game. But you know, he, you know, he, he has a sincere belief, right, that primary care can lower the cost of of people. And so then it begs the question to your point, why don't we pay primary care more when they can have that big of an impact? Does it take the shift to value-based care to do that? And organizations like Alidade that put them in a value-based arrangement so that they can get paid more for actually keeping people healthy as opposed to the current model, which is churn through as many people and we reimburse you based on how many you churn through. Right. And have, uh, you know, a thousand patients you see a day, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, wait, yeah, yeah. I mean, in what world is it healthy to say, how many patients can I slam into my schedule today? That feels like great healthcare, right? <laughs> hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hahn. Today, we're discussing the future of primary care. And today's episode is brought to you by HitMic. We're excited to announce that the 2023 HitMake Conference will be held in Las Vegas, February 1st to the 3rd in 2023. We're holding it a little bit earlier than usual because the spring 2023 healthcare conference calendar is already so packed. So we decided to go a little bit earlier than we normally do. For more details, head on over to 
healthitmarketingconference.com. And there you'll find more details about next year's event. Yeah. Can't wait to be back in Vegas. Woo. Can't wait to <laughs> just be back in person with that community. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the big elephant that just entered the room, or maybe the, maybe it was already in the room, but how will the entry of retail care and tech players impact primary care? Yeah, this feels like a callback to a previous episode to, in some degrees as far as, uh, you know, who are the ones that matter and who aren't. And I think it's interestingly, if I were, if we were to look back at that old episode of what big tech players are going to be, I think I predicted and, you know, fact checkers can go check me, but you know, <laughs> Amazon was the one I was most worried about. And the fact that they acquired one medical and, you know, so pill pack, one medical uh, crossover health, like, that's a pretty powerful combination. Of course, everything they're doing with Alexa, without home, and and all of those wellness issue you know, uh, extensions through Alexa. Like, I, I still think they're going to be the most powerful one. And they take things slow, and they they want to see. But someone else pointed out something interesting about their entrance that uh, Amazon, unlike some of the other tech players, they've been fine with low margin businesses. And healthcare, especially primary care, is a low-margin business. But yeah. it, at volume, low-margin business is really successful. Amazon's proved that. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, you know, concept. That's like, yeah, I'm, Amazon's okay with the long-term, low-margin businesses that they can, you know, provide value to the and connection to. And so, you know, for me, that's really interesting. Uh, are they going to expand it? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, it, Yeah, the path forward isn't clear for me exactly on that, but I have a feeling that they have more that we haven't discovered yet. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, there's so much nuance to that purchase of One Medical, right? Did they they make that purchase because of One Medical's existing relationships with employers and all the benefits that they helped to manage and and, direct? Was it because of their growing DPC you know, direct primary care business mm-hmm. and that model, because it, it that would not require any insurance, right? And so it would allow Amazon to operate outside of the whole payer provider structures. Uh, and then of course, you know, as you said, is there more or is there more of a tie to the rest of what Amazon's already done in terms of pill pack, uh, you know, Whole Foods even, you know, is there some play there? So yeah, it, it, I, the good thing about Amazon and, and some of the others who have come to this market, they've taken their time, right? It's not like they've come in and just rapidly opened a thousand clinics, right? Or or rolled this out across the country instantaneously. They're taking their time. And I think that bodes well for them. Uh, but if you're a primary care doc right now, I think you have to be worried a little bit about the future of your own practice, given all these new entrants from you know, Amazon, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, uh, all these players are kind of nipping at those edges as we've been talking about over the last few episodes. Yeah, I, I loved the analysis from Dr. Jay Parkinson, uh, who, interestingly enough, was part of Crossover Health, with that, which Amazon acquired, although he's not there anymore. Uh, but he did the analysis, you know, $3.6 billion for primary care. That's, that's a lot of change, right? But he divide, you know, he divided it by the seven hundred fifty thousand primary care m- members, right? Patients. That's forty hundred, forty eight hundred dollars per patient that Amazon paid for that. And then he's, you know, if you look at the hundred and seventy seven brick and mortar locations that uh, that uh, one medical had, that's uh, you know, essentially twenty point three million dollars per clinic 
that Amazon paid for it. Now the, the question is how much of there is their tech in there? Sure. Like you said, there's the, you know, hundreds of employer relationships that, that has some value as well. Right. Uh, but anyway, so you, but you look at that and you're like, well, at $20 million per clinic, Amazon could have just built their own, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy to think about. Right. But, you know, you look at it more long-term, I think they look at it and say, and, and many of the other people that have analyzed this have said, the future of primary care is going to be a mix. You can't just do everything virtually. You can't just do everything through some sort of remote patient monitoring device, right? You need a remote patient monitoring device. You need the virtual care for specific situations, and you need the brick and mortar for certain health situations that really need that hands-on touch, right? Like, you know, if, if I have a rash that needs to, you know, to, or, you know, or some growth that needs to be cut off, well, it's hard to cut that off virtually, right? <laughs> so I still need the brick and mortar to deal with some of these things that could essentially grow into cancer or grow into whatever it might be, right? So it's great that you analyze that I have a potential, you know, cancer risk here, but now I need the brick and mortar. So that's what I think is what makes Amazon interesting, right? Is they now have all three components and where does that go from here? So then you look at it from a broader perspective. What does that mean for primary care? Well, that means you're now competing with Amazon, not just Amazon, the company, but Amazon that has RPM, that has virtual care and has the uh, brick and mortar. And that's what I think should scare a lot of primary care professionals. Yeah. And so just to hit on one thing you said there, I recently interviewed uh, Dr. Brett Belchitz, who's the founder of Maple here in Canada, which is a telemedicine provider network. You know, so it's a technology as well as the docs. Mm -hmm. And in the interview, basically what he was saying is that they estimate that only 50% of all possible visits could be done virtually. Right. Because uh, the rest of it absolutely requires uh, something to be done in person, right? Um, so it goes to what you were saying before. There's always going to be a mix. It cannot all be done with technology alone. And even some of the top vendors like Maple are saying, yeah, that's just not, it's not feasible. It's not possible. So, sure. um, but the second thing you, you said is, is where I was going to go. I think the biggest impact of what's going on here, again, with Amazon, CVS, Walmart, I lumped them all together in here. I'm hoping that it actually likes a fire uh, under mm. primary care. And, yeah. and, and that the remaining people go, you know what, I'm going to fight that. I'm not going to go quietly into the sunset. Right? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a new model. I'm going to find a new way. I'm going to offer different services. Maybe that's mixing in a little bit of, of, of direct primary care thinking, but to that an existing fee-for-service or uh, you know, through the existing payer provider model. Like, Why can't an existing uh, primary care practice open up a fitness gym next door or form an agreement with one, right? Uh, why can't they become much more of a wellness center of which their practice is one component of it? Mm -hmm. There's nothing stopping them from doing that today. Um, but maybe, maybe it's just because their fo sole focus right now on billing more, more patients through their business is that's the only thing they're focused on. So I, I'm hoping that maybe this will light a fire and spur some innovation in the space. Yeah. The other factor that I think is interesting, if we follow the money, is you look at all the big health systems that have acquired all these practices, right? Mm. And why did they do it in some ways? It was to have the referral network. Well, these big tech players don't care about that. <laughs> you know? I mean, they may profit from it. They may create relationships and referrals and whatever, right? But they're not in that for that, 
right? Like that, that, that's not why, but health systems are. And so, you know, that's going to create an interesting dynamic for primary care and, you know, that are the gatekeepers for much of the care that's happening. Uh, you know, if the gatekeeper is now Amazon, does that mean we need relationships with them? Or, you know, if it's Walgreens, do we need relationships with them? Whoever it is, right? Dollar General, throw them in there. Amazing that they're in primary care, right? Like, uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see because so many people see an opportunity there. But, you know, in, in a weird... <laughs> In a weird way, and I am going on record saying this, you know, with the entrance of these players, in my mind, I wonder, are they looking at primary care, not as the moneymaker itself, but all the stuff around it, mm-hmm. right? You look at all these players and go, as you called it, it's a low margin business, primary care itself. Yeah. And now with these new entrants, like, I can't see them suddenly tripling the profit margin of a primary care practice, right? Nope. But they, like Amazon and, and Walmart, they're able to make more money off the stuff that happens around that practice. The pharmacy, you know, the 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 pharmacy, the retail around it. And so I look at this and go, is are we heading for the day where primary care actually is not no longer a money maker? And and mm-hmm. actually does that then become the democratization of primary care? Where now everyone can everyone has access to it because I want you to come into my practice, and in fact, I might take a loss on that service in order to get you into my wider ecosystem. Right, it's the the long term value of a patient, right? And it's reevaluating how we make money from a patient that comes through the doors that could be really interesting. You know, the pessimistic view I've heard about this acquisition of One Medical by Amazon, which you know, not to focus too much on that, though it's in the headlines, right? Um, the pessimistic view is, yeah, they've gotten into healthcare before, so has tech, and they divest it later and say, never mind. Uh, and and it's possible, right? Like it's possible right. that they just paid almost four billion, right, three point six or whatever it was, uh, for one medical, and it'll sell for two billion. Uh, Three years from now, five years from now. That said, uh, it also raises the question: Are you know are they going to do it more um, pill pack style, where they integrate it into their services? Or are they going to do it more Zappos style? Which Zappos, they literally said, we're not going to do anything. Like, sure, we, we can support each other. We may help some HR or different things, right? But they were, and you know, as a Vegas resident, Zappos is headquartered in Vegas. I've seen Zappos when they were acquired by Amazon, Amazon said, go and do what you do, right? Like, and then they did some back-end logistics things and whatever, right? That, you know, that made sense to integrate and support each other. But for the most part, they said, you know, your brand, you know what you're doing, go and do. Will they do that with One Medical or will they do more of an integrated approach? Uh, kind of, you know, the, I think Crossover Health has done more that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is going to be a very interesting time to keep track of this. I think, John, we're definitely going to have to dedicate a few more episodes to covering <laughs> this topic because it is just it so interesting and fascinating. Hey, but thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.